winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 74th episode in the series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva, Gometra, Erid and Little Collinsey. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. I hope this finds you happy and well, wherever and whenever you be. This episode is a conversation with Donald McGilvery of Pennygown. I must admit that Donald is someone I've wanted to talk to for a very long time indeed, so it's fantastic that we were actually able to get together and spend a couple of hours chatting about times past. We talk about so much. We talk about his childhood. We go way back into his family history. We talk about the drove roads and the last cattle drove off of Iona to Falkirk, the changes he's seen in agricultural practice over his career, his work with his Highland cattle fold, abandoned villages and places long forgotten, his dear friend, the late and much-missed Hugh McPhail, and so, so much more. It's this sort of knowledge that passes so swiftly if it's not passed on, and I'm deeply indebted to Donald for his time and sincerity in sharing these stories with me. At one point in the recording, a former guest on the podcast even makes a pitch invasion as they call by for a quick cup of tea. I'll be back with a wee bit more at the end of the episode. And now it is with the greatest of pleasure that I pass you over to Donald McGilvery. Who are you? Donald McGilvery. Born 1939 at the head of Lochatron, Rangail, the birthplace of Rob Roy McGregor. My only claim to fame. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, what were your family doing in Lochatron? My father was a shepherd. On the shores of Lochatron, I should say. <laughs> he, was, he, he was a shepherd and uh, he was in second youngest of a family of eight, which entailed that he had to leave home and uh, he, when he married in 38, my mother lived across the loch, Loch Rern, and he courted my boat. Just those things don't happen today. But uh, he then answered this advert for uh, Glasgow Corporation and got the job at Glengyle where we were until I became school age, 43, and fortunately we had to leave. The Department of Agriculture, who were responsible for many things, including the placement of um, shepherds, etc., picked up on it and he was uh, asked to go to Glenetiff, where we spent nine very happy years, eight very happy years, through snowstorms, you threw it at us, we had it. I remember him coming home from going out the glen and within a mile of the head of the glen, a deep gorge, they were standing on the cab of the lorry and they couldn't see over the drift. So the turn, <laughs> that was the end of that. They turned back, they got together two or three horses, bags over their shoes and walked to Banal. Uh, supplies because the boat lock was frozen lock, the locket was frozen past Dal and the, the boat wasn't prepared to come out so they walked down there and they got provisions on the horse's back and brought that back and that was in 47 I've heard them talk many times about it in uh, 
1850. He was asked to go to Kirundin in Borvin, which had been acquired from the late Lee Smillen, Mrs. Lee Smillen, and he continued the Highland Fold there. Unfortunately, <laughs> Glenforsa was bought the following year. He was asked to come and take over the stock and do the counts, the counts for the sheep stock, etc., etc., and then he was asked to come and manage it. So we landed back in Mull, precisely 50 years or thereby since my father, my grandfather left. But the mainland. So that's the story as far as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and your grandfather's, your grandfather's um, life, where, where, what was his, where all had he been? Well, the McGilveries were disbanded along with many others mm. at Culloden. Post 45, yeah. And uh, they came down, our ancestors came down and landed between Bednach and, and uh, Fort William. Carried on down through Morven, I presume, and they landed in Glencanel, head of Loch Bar, about 17, 18, 90, something of that age. And unfortunately, they were evicted out of there by the Lord of the Isles in 1823. Our branch went over the, the Mam into Glenmore. The other branch went over the other Mam into Tornes in the Glen, in Glenmore, and settled in Loch Don. We, our side, went and settled in Sheabla. Outside Schuar. Fantastic. The main families there at that time were McFadgins and McGilbrays. Yeah. They were all evicted by the then Duke of Argyle. Some of them went to Servan, which was maybe privately owned, I'm not sure, but our branch went into uh, Benesson. And my grandfather's uncle was Don Drover. He was, it's been mentioned in many dispatches and his escapades, which I can cover quite quite soon. Eventually, my grand my great grandfather went to Iona, 18, 1850 or eighteen fifty odd. My grandfather was born there in the early eighteen sixties. When we came an age to work, there was a big family. Six or there were six boys and two or three girls. He came to the mainland of Mull, mainland of Mull. And he had a job at Rossell. And the old shepherd there was a wee bit getting on in years and uh, they walked the lambs from Rossell to Salon, but the old shepherd turned back at the top of the mam before he came into Lincanel. And grandfather went on, he was only 16, walked the lambs to Salon Pier loaded them on the ferry or the boat, whatever it was, returned back, making home. Darkness fell at, in the, in, uh, in, in the side of Bar, and he took shelter behind a haystack at Clackig. <laughs> the wind turned, or a gust of wind came, and the shepherd's dogs heard, or smelt his dogs, started barking, so the old man got up, the old shepherd got up and shot off two last guns of the 
blunderbuss, I suppose. Oh, and um, he decided that this wasn't the place to be. He walked back down to the river, followed the river up until the moon got up, over the mam, into Tabrach, down to Rosal. Coming up the hallway in the Rosal was the lady of the house, a spinster, and her first words were, Donald, did you water the horse? Yes, ma'am, I watered the horse. Your porridge is on the hearth. The cold porridge from the day before was on the hearth with skim milk. Mm. <laughs> he was, say, been young, of course, he was only 16, I presume. He um, decided he was going back to Iona. Yeah. He did. His father chased him because he said, no work here, go back to where you came from. He was determined he wasn't going back there, but he called it his aunt, or his grand-aunt, in Airds, who said, don't go back there, I've got a job for you in Carsick, with the squire of Bentley, who was a chief of Tororan. So he went there, and as a uh, not a man, he became the groom man, groom's maid, and he, he um, was in, held in fairly high regard. And if you go into the Penigil Hotel, there's a large picture on the wall of a bridal party coming across Penigale Bridge. And that's my grandfather's wedding in 1882, thereby. I happened to meet the late Donald Morrison in Denaris in about 50 years ago, or thereby. And he was most interested that I was a grandson of the wedding he witnessed because he was a boy of 12 come up from Benesant with the groceries or whatever they had to the reception which has been held in in uh, what's now Pennygale Hotel the picture contains the bridal party led by the Squire of Bentley and the father of the late Ronnie Livingston of Aris Bridge playing the pipes <laughs> More I could tell you, but it's uh, far too long. <laughs> he went back to Karzig. He was there for some years. I omitted to say earlier on, when he was in Karzig as a single man, he stayed down at the pier house with the uh, man McLean, Callum Keeper, they called him. He was the keeper. They got word of a dance in Lochbui. So they went over the hill to Kinloch, and a couple of jars there, as he said in his own word language, bought a half bottle each, back to Karzig, picked up the dancing pumps, and made for Lokbui. The tide was wrong at, this, at the rope, which most people know about on the, the Lokbui side of the Karzig march. Off for the boots, tied them round their neck, swung across on the rope, soaking up to the knees, I presume, and uh, in Gaelic, well, if I swing out of one of the bottles, which they did, but unfortunately the, the cork broke. Grandfather pushed it in, took the twigs out, his <laughs> swig out of it. What would we do with it now? Gaelic, of course. Stick your finger in it, be all right. Got to Lochbui with his thumb stuck in the bottle. I had to plunk the whiskey well away from my dance hall at that mm -hmm. time. <laughs> he couldn't take his thumb out of the bottle so they had to break the bottle 
So, so that was one thing, and he sat there when he had a long white beard, and uh, was telling me this sad, sad day. <laughs> Walked back to Catholic, of course, and started work. That's one of the many tears he had. But his uh, droving days way back in, but he was only f 14 and he got to Grass Point and his grandfather said, you're too young, Donald, in Gaelic, you go home. Oh. He set off home through Glenmore to his ancestors in Craig, in Airds, and the following day he walked to Iona. The following year, you're old enough now, Donald, you can come with us. And he went to Falkirk with the cattle, the last drove that left Iona. I'm not sure. I could find the year, but I don't I don't recall it. Incredible. Incredible. And it turned out that the boatman at uh, Grass Point to Barnamook in Kerrera was a McGilvery and he was a distant. He was the ones that went across the Maam into Tornes. And they were the last ferrymen to run that boat to Barnamook. It's maybe a wee bit... Um, Long-winded, but no, these bad. things all happened. Perfect. Did he ever describe the, the route as well that he took within the Drove Road? What was it like? Did he talk about the, the features of the road, the features of the people, all these different things? He met many people. Once they got to Kerara, went through Kerara, swam them to Gallanach. Mm -hmm. The first dance was in Lincruton, mm -hmm. and the posts of the stance were still standing there when I was in school and I could see them from the train on a Hawaii ground. The next one was at Tenalt and they went down uh, the landward side of Lahore uh, and camped at Port Nasherich, swam the cattle across the narrows of Lahore and over the hill into Inverary. I don't know how many stances there were because he was, he was rattling on in semi-Garlic, semi-English. Difficult to follow, but they went down through um, Arachar, over the hill, down into Glen Douglas, where there was a big stance. And at the foot of Glen Douglas, there was an Inverbeg Hotel. That was a, sta a, a stopping point once the cattle were either corralled or on his way back, I'm not quite sure. But in there, <laughs> the old innkeeper was one of these very trustworthy people, and he kept purses, as they called them, of coins that couldn't take up the lock side yeah. for fear of being robbed. He and his companion, two of them, Don Drover and himself and another man, set off in the morning and they were robbed, or attempted to be robbed, up the lock side. Don Drover didn't throw the purse to the man's feet, he dropped it to his own feet. So when the robber moved forward to collect the purse, he gave him a clout in the back of the head and knocked him out. Yeah. Knocked the other man out as well. Went through their pockets. They got three purses full of money. Put them in their pocket. Left there up to, <laughs> up to uh, Dalmali. They ten drum. Frightened to call in case there was a murder because they were still lying there when they left them. Nothing happened. The following year, the old robber went back down 
did the business come back to them by beggar tale on those three men sitting there in despair that they hadn't been able to locate the purses that were stolen the previous year. And in Gaelic, Don Drover said, what would, what would she like the purse? Oh, it was such and such and such. Is that her? <laughs> Semi-Gaelic, mm-hmm. which it was. He returned the three purses intact the following year. That's documented in a, 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 a record that's in the, one of the drove roads of Scotland. I've got the book there. The a, a, career, a, 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 It's Haldane, I think, is it? Hald, it could be Haldane. Uh, A.R.B. Haldane. Could be him. All right. And uh, it's documented there, and it's also uh, Donald Morrison of a ton has given a great article on the truth of it. <laughs> Your family history goes back s- with such knowledge uh, so far. Can you shed any human light on the clearances? Now, Ian Morrison's grandfather could remember being cleared from, from Sujnish and Sky. He could remember the, the roofs being burnt. These are the details that are, have disappeared mostly. Is there anything in your oral history of your family that they talked about? Because they were cleared three times from what you've been saying there, if not more. Total clearance twice. And then when they went to Iona, they settled there. Unfortunately, I, I'm the only one he really spoke much to. But I was a schoolboy at sort of twelve to fifteen with him, and I think he thought it was degrading for his family to talk about it, and he never told his family much of his history. But I got more into his latter years, and it's sad that my father never had any of the stories, nor my two uncles three uncles, actually, and uh, it disappeared. These are the main things he, he told me about, but when he came back to Mull with my father in 52 and went through Glenmore, before the new road went through, above the locks, he said, Argus, this is not the way we went across onto the, the Nock Estate side. We went across here. And the track's still there, if you know what it is, above the new road that was put in in the 60s, 70s, between there and the Clachvirach. But uh, other than that, he didn't speak about it, mm-hmm. sadly. I guess it's trauma, though. It was trauma, there's no question. And a question of uh, being evicted through no fault of their own must be a stigma that just silenced the whole family. Did any of them go to America at all? Yes. Uh, my grandfather's, two of his my grandfather's brothers went to America. One of them, who was Angus, he disappeared. And it, But there was a, we know nothing about him, really. In fact, the other uncle that went out there, he came back to this country. A single man, he wasn't long out there. His name was John. He married and he was the farms manager in Alva before he went to Balamir Ach in 1923 
the same year as my grandfather took the farm at Burkholden in 1923, which the family still own. Other than that, I don't know too much about them. The youngest son, Duncan, and his two sisters stayed in Iona, and the last of the sisters died there in '56. We, well, we were there as children, but my knowledge of what they did, other than a well at the front of the road at Krokoran, that you had to wind the water out of the well, I can remember that white well. And uh, when the last went in 56, that was the last McIlvery in Iona. And the late Jimmy Beaton took over the croft because he was, he ran it for years, former late great uncle. There's a lot of history that we could talk about, but we'll get bogged down in time. <laughs> Let's pull it back to yourself then. Um, you started life on the shores of Loch Catherine. Shores of Loch Catherine, Glen Native, Kilundin, then Glenforsha, where I still am. I came home in 56, 56 years, planning on a year out before I would go off and do something, either college or something else. Unfortunately, father took a slight heart attack. Just a warning. I never went, and I never went. Eventually, he was then, by that time the great clearances were on, and the, and the second clearances, if you might say, of farms in Argyll for trees. So he was uh, seconded to uh, Ballinow at uh, Kilmore, where he ran 14 farms that were taken over by the government for trees from the point of South End to Dalmali, Agnacoa and Glencoe, all in between, Lahore side. It's a huge amount. A huge land. amount. There's one day in, in Stirling, they sold 7,000 sheep off several of those farms. And uh, he was there until he retired. I took over from him in Glenforsha in 66. And uh, by that time it had cooled down slightly. Langemol and Ardu and Achna Craig in the Glen, in this area, and Queenish were all taken over and planted, mm-hmm. which I was very involved in at that time, mm-hmm. as the lorrymen, etc. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well... Can you talk us through the psychology of the planting? Because some of them, <clears throat> I know at Ardmore, particularly, you can see that some of the the, the houses and the old farmsteading, and also the you know, the, the square in front of the farm, it's actually been kept. They, were, they didn't plant in them for what? What's the psychology? Of this? What was the reason for these things? I I I, I really believe it was because of the the Thomas during the war that arable land should not be planted. It should be retained and farmed, which it was in many occasions, many places. Other than that, no, I have no, no great uh, history of it. Other than what I do know in Kintyre, uh, I was there many times with father. They were planted, but the Enbai was not planted. Mm. Okay. In fact, uh, the Beatles farm, that was one that was taken over, and... It's still there, but the hills all planted. Uh, it was a shame, and it is still a shame, that so much of it 
it's gone for trees. I know we need trees. Yeah. But uh, you talk about ruins being found inside the plantations. The late family of Cardines, who owned Lenforce until late thirties, planted plantations up Lenforce that the plinth was still above the wall on the ruins in those fangs. And the late Lachie Nock, on one of our ventures up the Glen, said that Corachie plantation was planted there to hide 30 ruins as 30 smokes rose there in the morning. In late Gardines came in 1884, they did this just at the turn of the century. And these people are all, well, I don't know if they were evicted by that time. They may have been away by that time. It would be, in fact, because uh, that at the Gooch or Glen, which leads into Glencarnell, there's another 20 houses in there. 108 soldiers left Lymphosa at the first war after the Union of the Crowns or thereby. Five came back. That's the same time as 300 men mustered on the lawns of uh, Alva House. I don't know what the details of that. Alva, Gomatran, Collins, etc. Little Collins. But these were the days that have gone. Thank goodness. Mm. But when I did come home uh, as a horror boy, tea boy, whatever you like to call it, mm. uh, the gopher, I graduated slowly and uh, eventually took over father's job in 66 and ran the farm to 77 when the Hennels and Hennels Development Board decided in their wisdom that the government shouldn't farm themselves. So, and time was let, score was let, and Glyphosa was broken into two in 77 and the late Hugh McPhail and I were the chosen tenants both families are still there and the that time same family so some things were done right yeah. and I have a lot to be thankful for um, continuity of care exactly no regrets mm. doing what we did Many happy days, many solemn days, mm -hmm. but uh, I wouldn't have changed it. Your working life started in the 60s. 57, 56, 57, I started the work. We were recording in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yes, you're right. What are the main changes you've seen in your working life? Mechanisation. Oh my God, of course. Without question. <laughs> Could you describe life before mechanisation, please? That's the reason my knees are the way they are today. Aye. We walked everywhere. Yeah. I walked cattle from Tororan to Glenforsa when Tororan was planted in 60. I walked cattle from Glenforsa to Duart when Lord Maclean owned it and he cleared it off and the department looked after it before it was added to Gorton, we would walk cattle to Duart Castle in the spring and walk them back in the autumn. Thought nothing about it. You may have met three or four cars. 
We left at four in the morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Compare that to now. Compared to that now coming through the Glen to see you today, oh, yeah. I must be in every second passing place. Yeah. And Herder. And this is a September, late September. Absolutely. <laughs> These are some of the highlights we... You, you, you had a session with Andy McFarlane at Linares. Yeah. His late father was one of the two other men that were with me. Tororan was the Chiefs. It was taken over in 59, I think it was, 60. And that's where I met my great late friend, Ronnie Campbell. He was trapping rabbits and I was ploughing the, the, the rounds in Bonneville. Wow. And uh, the rest is with friends from the day, then to the day he died. Amazing. Ronnie was great. He was... Um, I got to know him through playing the fiddle. <clears throat> he was all very often fed and tie at things. and Very much so. It was great. Yeah, I really wish I'd been able to speak to him. There's no two ways about it. He was, say, absolutely obsessed with ploughing. Really? And he would, at his tea break, or he would make it sure that he was on the bottom fence opposite the fields I was ploughing, and he would watch me going up the rig, and he would watch me coming down the rig. Then he would come over and have his tea with me. And from there, it went on. Came to Glenforsha, I taught him the rudiments of ploughing. A great pleasure in seeing that, unfortunately, my mother took a stroke in 66, and it was a week before the ploughing match in Knock, and Ronnie was to plough, and I was to guide him. The late Johnny Miller, who was the head shepherd in Glenforsha at the time, said, oh, I'll do it for you. They went to it, and he won it. He, he never got over that. He, he, he reminisced many times. Plough matches were a great thing in those days. Oh, this is what we'd love to know. Yeah, because I've heard of ones uh, up the north end here as well. Uh, I yeah. ploughed at many of them. Yeah. What was it like? What were the What was the feeling of these things? Great tension. Oh, really? Oh, I competitiveness. Very, very competitive. Okay. Uh, the late Duncan McGillivray Queenish. He was the late Hugh McLean Queenish before him. Uh, he had always Bob Do with him, wee Bob Do, and he had a, a mulling shovel, wee mulling spade, and he'd be ticking in. <laughs> we were in Glengorham twice, we were in Queenish, Bagamal, Baganalwa twice, Turlosh twice, and uh, Akaronich, Oskimo, I should say. And that was the North End. In fact, we were in Catalan as well. I so never, the whole ne basically. never, never missed one. That was the North Mat North Mull Ploughing Association. Right, okay. There was a Torrisy Ploughing Match Association, which started at Roundabout with Porsche, Corrie, and right to Ardura. I didn't plough Ardura because that was horses, but I ploughed twice at Gorchin, Duart once, twice at Torrisy, Garmony, twice, if not three times at Glenforsha. Name us. I became a champion ploughman in 1959. I put the Royal Highland Agricultural Society Medal for ploughing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I guard that. I guard it. <laughs> yes, indeed. And who would you say taught you how to plough? The late Duncan Campbell of Garmany. He was a very small man, but he was farming in Scalastil first of all, and then he went to Garmany. He was a great ploughman himself. But he was done it all. He'd 
didn't want to go on. Father and him were very friendly, and uh, every Saturday, a month before the ploughing match, I went Garmony, going in through bits of ploughs and sorting it out, and then up to the ploughing match. What? Yeah. What is the? What are the particular skills you needed to 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 compete in that? What was what was what was the work of ploughing? Concentration. Really. You had to really concentrate. You had an inbuilt that you could look over your shoulder. That's why I've got a stiff neck. Look over your shoulder and be sure that things were right. And no matter what they taught you at the start, once you went into the rig, the rig was so far, uh, you were on your own. They would walk up the grass and they could shout instructions to you, but I didn't need them, eventually. No. We went to Manesson to blow matches with the tractors. We were, there was a convoy of 16 of us landed in Torres in the one morning for a ploughing match, mostly from the bottom end here. Well, not the bottom end, the middle there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a huge team. Huge team, yes. In fact, I, I remember one day at, uh, at Duart, there were 17 or 18 of us there, and it came a terrible bad day. And there was a slight hollow in the middle of the field and it flooded and the water was run down the middle of the field. So the, the ploughman at Duart had iron wheels. He put the iron wheels on and then he shared the tractor with as many people as they couldn't plough it. <laughs> These are things that stick out in your mind. Yeah, of course. And who was the the, the, the farmer down at Duart at, at that point? It was Lord McLean. Or himself. Right? Himself. And uh, the, the ploughman was uh, Huey Bennett. There's none of these Bennets left, I'm afraid, but he was a great friend of us all. Earlier on, you were talking about the smoke rising from these cottages that were that hidden away. You, you understand and, and know the landscape around you so well. Could you talk about Glenforsa and... Uh, and the, the abandoned settlements there, and at Loch Ba, and all these different places. What, what, what are these places? Who do you remember? People that were there, or know of people that were there? And well, uh, the furthest back I can go, really from memory, is nineteen oh one. The last family of McPhails left Old Roll, which is a mile and a half past the present Roll, okay. and they're flitting without a horse and cart to Tornes, or carts I should say, but one of them disintegrated at the foot of uh, Corivanach and the remains were still there when I saw them first, bits of the cart, but they'd taken all the processions away. And that uh, old lady, her daughter, oh uh -huh, Pat, is it? Hey, hello, come on in Pat. Yeah, Pat will join us in a minute if that's Absolutely. okay. Absolutely. Aye. Uh, two cents. That's great. Uh, oh, switch off. <laughs> no, 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 no. Keep it on. Keep it running. This is the thing. So, hi, Pat. <laughs> hello. Yes, hello. Uh, would you like to join us? Just talk to Donald about uh, for the podcast. You can't be more than welcome to come and join us. Do you want a cuppa? Do you want a cuppa? Why not? Aye, come on through as well. Yeah. Aye, come on through. Come on through. Yeah. Cup of herbal tea. Yes. Glad. Cool. Thank right. you. Cool. 
Don't get excited when you hear some of the stories. <laughs> You've missed that stage when he's sitting himself. Well, I'll just you sit here for a minute Ripples, come. Come, come down. Come, Ripples, come. Ripples, I need that seat. Come. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Made it nice and warm for you anyway. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, nice, no. Good. No, 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 definitely not. That's, um, do, do talk with us as well. I'm just going to get the levels right. Um, yeah, when we, just before Pat arrived, you were talking about an older lady as well, you're saying. I, she was the last person that lived in the old role. Uh -huh. And uh, her daughter came back in my father's time. I don't remember much about it, but he took her up to Bintala to Timsleeve and took her across and showed her old role. And it meant so much to her. That's the same, they left Old Hall the year of the tragedy of the young boy dying, going back from school at Gurchill to a hamlet above Corrie, Corrie the Hennachan in the Fisher's Bay. Sloch Ewan, they call it to this day, uh, he uh, perished in the snowstorm there and they closed the school. That was 1901. And from memory, it's not, that's another Lachie's stories. And uh, that was a sort of decline of the population up the Glen. When we came first, there was, there was a family in Rawl, there was a family in Gurchill, but there was nobody in Bentella. Mm -hmm. the, the last person had left there. Uh, the McNeelages, Don McNeelage, that used oh, yes. to be in that time, mm -hmm. he was brought up in Rawl oh. before he went to Chenga. Or after he was in Chenga, sorry, he went to Rawl. And his sister married Archie Katnach of Glenforsa, fame, those four brothers. Three went to the war, three came back. And he, Archie was the only one that didn't go because he was in agriculture. Yeah. But the other three went and they all came back. And uh, that's in this... We're losing the place slightly. We're moving on too fast. <laughs> <laughs> they were in in, in Roll and in Gurchill, uh, a family there. And the croft at Gurchill, beside the school, I cut it with the finger bar mower for the shepherd for his hay mm -hmm. in '58. That's when I graduated to the mower. <laughs> Before that, it was on the side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what we're talking about, the, the arrival of mechanisation just just changed everything. <laughs> we, um, um, you mentioned there uh, about Bintala as well. Um, what's the story with the Bothy there that's still standing? Was that a family home? That was a family home. And the last person that was in there was a Donald McLean, the Garav, they called him. He was a Skianach. And... Uh, I don't know how he thought he was related to us, but there it was. But he <laughs> he was the last person in Bentala. And his wife, she died long before he did. And she used to walk down to Salon with turn-up-toed boots and a pillowcase, or a flower bag it would be, for the messages, and walk back up to Bentala. Blimey Exactly. He was the last... Prior to that, there was a family of, of uh, they were McLean's as well, and in McCumiskey's time in the shop in Salon, way back, one of the boys worked there, and he went back down 
the Glen to play football. He came back up, coming back up home, something came over him and he died behind a stone halfway up the Glen. They took the remains home to Mentala. The day of the funeral, they were walking them back down because the road stopped at Gurchill. There was no track after that that they could take a vehicle. I presume it would be a horse, I don't know. They were coming across the bridge at Gurchill, the big storm, and there were two men, two men or three men carrying the coffin and the bridge gave way. Now, the men escaped. The coffin went down the river, but some of the mourners ran down and caught it before it joined the big river, or it would never have been seen again. And that was a McLean as well. These are things that the late Lachie told me yeah. and could point out very clearly what existed in those times. Yeah. He also told me where the bishop's well was. Ooh, where's that? Not <laughs> <laughs> but in Espec. It's in Goodshill Glen, over halfway to Glencarnell, okay. on the Glenforsa side of the hill march. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're up the Glen, and I'll show you when I get you there, there's three big plane trees. And that was the area around the manse. Okay. The bishop stayed there or whatever he was, and the well was up the drain beside it, and it's built into the side of the wall. And it was there the last time I saw it, and that was 30 years ago. That's amazing. It is amazing. That's just... These things are there that very few people now know about. No, indeed, that's the thing. It's... Um, that's incredible. Do you, and you know, was it the Bishop of, of Argyll? Was it the Bishop? I don't. They just called him the Bishop, but whether he was a bishop or a, a common priest, I don't know. Because there's another one at, at another church at uh, Kilbeg, mm -hmm. and there's a graveyard there, round the back of the fank. Some of the fanks built from stones from the graveyard. Mm. In fact, last time I was shearing there, oh, I was just a boy, and I was crogging. You know what crugging is? <laughs> Pulling them out. And the late Johnny Miller was in. He was great at letting them out the gate. No consideration for the poor boy that was eight stone and the ten stone sheep coming at him. <laughs> I dug my heel into this, holding this big yew, and I slid in a flat stone, and it was a tombstone. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. Still there. Nobody touched it. Nobody mentioned it. No. These are the things that <laughs> go into the mind. Also, we talked about there, Corachie Wood, where there were 30 smokes went up. Yes. Coming down the glen from there, there's Croc and Pantata, and it's full of lazy beds. And that's where the, all the potatoes were growing. Into Pantati the, Hill. Aye, Croc and Pantata. And it was, it was actually the famine, that, famine, potato famine that cleared a lot of them off. You're between that and clearances. I'll leave you in peace and I'll finish my tea. Oh, nice. You better go back and let Lucy off. I'll have, yeah, I've got to get, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> Sorry. No <worries. laughs> Thank you. Right, see you later uh, on. Yeah. Thank you so much for preparing notes as well. What um, what do you have that you wanted to well, say? Well, just uh, where, where do we stop here? See that. Uh, uh, how do we spend the winter nights? Yes, yeah. Which we came here for, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, badminton. Really? Two nights a week in Salad, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Badminton tournaments, Benesson, mm -hmm. Craig Newer. Topper Murray. Whist drives. Who was the who was the who the person who was the person that organised the whist drives? Pat's late mother in law. Oh, the granny. Granny. She did the ones in Mornish. In Salon it would be uh, the McGregor. Mm -hmm. Anne McGregor's 
mother and auntie. Mm-hmm. Hey, Craig knew her, I, I don't know. Craig knew we used to have them in Torrissey Castle. Lovely. That was when the hall was burnt, after the hall was burnt down. Mm. Bornish, Trudlosk. Dances was another thing. Yeah. There'd be a dance every second weekend at least. Lovely. From Tubermory to Benesson. Who were your favourite um, dance band leaders? Oh, it'd be Bobby. Yeah. He would, he was he didn't play that often except at Tubermory in at least latter days, but with uh, uh, Alec McKenzie, mm-hmm. we had uh, Jimmy Robb, uh, George McAlpin was a drummer, Jimmy Parker, Mochdon, we had uh, Cali Mann, Cali McLean. Yes, yeah. he was he was excellent. And Peabrook, of course, was a stalwart these days. Oh, I could go on forever. I've forgotten half of them. But I was at every dance that went. So what was the competitiveness like with the badminton? Was it quite friendly or was it Oh, no, it was, it was very friendly. Good. Yes. Uh, and the, the, these tournaments that went to were always well-received because we're well, well-fed. Uh, suppose you did travel to an hour and a half to get there. It didn't matter. The, and there was always tea to dance. The boys sat down one side, the girls sat down the other side. And whenever the dance was announced, phew, you dancing. <laughs> you dancing. You're asking. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, um, well, these were the nights. Where was your favourite hall for dancing? The old Salon Hall. Really? Aye. It was always... It was always plentiful, there was plenty of room in it. But dances such as in, in uh, Gruelin, the dance hall wasn't much bigger than this room. And a big mirror on the end of it, how it never broke, I don't know. Well, there was a crack in it. Torlosk, it was a very small hall. But we'd go there and... <laughs> Aris Hall, oh, every, every night. I've seen it three nights in a week in, 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 in Aris, in Tumberwari, regatta week. Dance on the pier, dance in the hall. Coming back home, three o'clock, half past three. Meeting father coming down the stairs. We're going to gather, boys. Late brother and I. Change ourselves, off we went. Summer. <laughs> That's what you did. <laughs> Another kind of dancing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You had to work. There was no slacking in those days. You had to be sure your dogs were right too. <laughs> Mechanism only arrived really in 64, 63. Bailers came in and that's really when staff declined as well. Because we used to have 12 men in Glenforsha when I was there and started first. That dwindled down until there was only seven of us when it was disbanded. And then four of us ran it from 77 to now. Well, to four, that's rough. Yeah. But mechanism was the making of it. What was the most useful 
element of mechanisation would you say? Was it the tractor? Was it the baler? What was tractor and the baler together? The combination. Once you got the old folk into the frame of mind that it wasn't going to rot in the shed, uh, they were determined they were going to waste all the hay by bailing it too quick and not. It wasn't. It should have been chewed in this ruck by their way of it, and you had to ruck it and then cart it to the shed loose, stack it in the shed, maybe bail it out of the shed eventually, but very much frowned upon until they came round. It was the easy way to do it. <laughs> because in the, in the first days, the first years of late 50s, early 60s, we used to have a lot of bracken cutters. Came every yeah. year from Donegal. Yes, Irish guys, yeah. Irish guys, gentlemen. There was a, a, an unwritten, unwritten sort of rule that when they saw the were we up the glen, when they saw the, the the van coming up or the Land Rover coming up on a good day, down south, down the glen, because they knew they were going to get well fed and so forth. But they were absolute gentlemen. In fact, I still keep up. I still did keep up with them because most of them have now gone. And uh, on one trip to Donegal, uh, only Sharky, who I knew very well, because he stayed on after Bracken and did uh, drainage, etc. And uh, I went to, to his homestead, his home village, and I didn't know just how to go any further, and I went to Daniel O'Donnell's hotel. Mm -hmm. The partner said, Oni, Oni's just two doors up, over the hill, and his wee crofts in there. Went in, I went in there, my late wife was, no, it wasn't my late wife, it was my sister and my brother-in-law, was with me, and... I got out of the car and I walked across to where he was sitting on the wall. I said, you're not remembering me, Oni, but I remember you. You haven't changed a lot. Don't tell me. And he sat with his arms folded and he said, well, if it's not Angus, it's Donald. And that was 35, maybe 40 years after we'd seen him. Oh, more, 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 more. Yeah, he was there in the, in the early... 60s, and that was uh, when I was when I was 65, which is 19 years ago. I went to see him, and he knew me. So we rushed in to the house. The youngest daughter was at home, and the wife. Tea was made, all the rest of it. He had three daughters, no sons, and he put them all through university, on the bracken cutting and ditching and so forth. Because every penny was sent home. He was in this country for maybe six months a year, maybe nine months. He was an eye to begin with, and then he came across the mall, and just a gentleman. Other two men, one of them kept contact with him, father till he died. That was a cook, <laughs> Neil, Neil Fred they called him. He was a boiled too, boiled is his name. Gentleman. Absolutely. And when they were cutting bracken, were they using scythes? Scythes. Or, or scythe all the way? Yeah. And uh, oh, they looked after them. The broker scythe blade was around. <laughs> they went to Lochbui every year to the salmon fishing, some of them. And when the salmon fishing was finished in Dunbar, they would come to Glenforce and cut bracken. Various other places as well. Migrant workers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hi, can you say a little bit about your friend Hugh? My friend Hugh. Friendship with Hugh didn't start when he came to Callaghley. It started 
when he was courting in Derwick. His mother wouldn't allow to come home across the ferry to Alva in the dark. She said it was a stormy night. And he, she would say to him, where are you staying? And uh, out of the blue he said, I'll stay with Donald and Cathy. That's my late wife. At Penny Gown. Right? Have you phoned them? No. Do it now. <laughs> so he phoned. <laughs> yes, of course, the back door will be open. Uh, and I'll leave the bedroom door open. Help yourself. That went on for, I don't know, quite a few years. Mm. One occasion, and Elizabeth and I went through this just last week, well, not last week, last month, and uh, he came home and I'd forgotten to leave the door open because he'd forgotten. He never phoned. And, but he'd got the bin, a bin, and he got up to the kitchen window and he saw a wee latch open. So he opened the big window and he was just about to step in on the... <laughs> on the board inside the window. It was the first top. There was cakes and scones and all the rest of it. <laughs> so he had to hesitate a bit and shift the quietly to the side and slip in. <laughs> Shut the window. <laughs> and the only time we knew about it, it had been there, was when we saw the sh shoes on the floor in the kitchen in the morning <laughs> if he wasn't away early. <laughs> and that was regular. So I don't know what year we started. They married in 72. So it must have been we were married in 65. Oh, James wasn't in his own room. They were 66, 67. But my father and his father were very knowledgeable of each other for donkey share. Donkey share. So that's when Hugh and I became friends and uh, just went through, went through life. You mentioned your late wife there as uh -huh. well. How, how did you meet? I danced in Salmon. Show dance and salad. Nice. <laughs> oh, I knew her before that, of course, but uh, that was when we... Where was she from? Salad. Her mm -hmm. brothers are still in Salad. Ronnie, Ronnie Kennedy at the garage. And Ali Kennedy, who stayed out of the Crescent, he's retired, of course. Right. And uh, her father had a wee garage in Salon, and then Ronnie built the other garage. She died, unfortunately, through breast cancer in 65. In... 2003. I'm so sorry. We married, we married in 65. And uh, we only had one of our family, huh? James, who's now landlord of mine. <laughs> He's got the farm now. I've left that to him. Fantastic. But uh, we broke out, first of all, in 86 and bought Garmony Farm. And my late brother different person to me but a fantastic stockman met him in Oban at a sale on the no it wasn't a sale I just met him in Oban by chance or I phoned him to say I was coming over and uh, what brings you over I'm um, going to the bank and to the solicitor I'm going to put in an offer for Garmony what you're never be able to do that after taking the force just 10 years ago. Mm. But at that time, we'd paid off the Highland Development Board loan. Mm. We wanted to expand. And uh, <laughs> we bought it. And uh, sold the house site the next year and it paid the mortgage. That was it finished. So since then, we've had Garmony and uh, in, uh, changes had to happen, of course, because I took a heart problem and mid eight, 
2006-2007. I'd open heart surgery, triple bypass and a bowel replaced in 2009. That's good going. I'm still here. That's very good going. But I need the pill. <laughs> and uh, by that time we were running Torrissey, as well as Clifford, Penny Gown, 22,000 acres. How many staff were? James and I. Gee, and Duncan, the late Duncan Cameron of Laganolva. You heard of Jesse Cameron and Jeannie McCall, yeah. their brother. He was with me, he was the only man I could afford at the time because he didn't want overtime, he wanted to, to work. Mm -hmm. And we got on great. Then James became of an age, so eventually Duncan retired. He's 14 years dead now, so I don't know exactly when that would be. And uh, it was just James and I. And uh, when this struck me, we had to cut down. Yeah. We just got rid of all the yows bit by bit. Yeah. I wasn't able to go to the hill. Yeah. And there was no way that we would, I was going to ranch it or allow him to ranch it because you couldn't get men to gather with you other than Hugh and his band. And that wasn't enough because vast, vast expense, expanses are ground. So we, we got rid of the sheep then, and uh, most of the sheep, I should say, kept on to Garmin and Pinnygown in by, and uh, 16, 17. Took them two years, myself and Fiona, to pluck up the courage to ask me <laughs> if I'd agree to a campsite. Of course. Why? To get around beside the graveyard back towards here, make a good campsite. <laughs> that was in 17, I think it was, 16 or 17. And we set up good planning. It took us three years. Oh, for God's sake. And it was 18 before we were allowed to start. We had to do a, a ground survey. Mm. We had to do a, a... It's quite close to the graveyard, fair enough. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All the dug up when they were doing your survey was an old tub I buried years beforehand, and there's not another thing found. Wow. So that was in 18, 17 we started that. James had bought, the, we had bought the farm by then, and I'd handed that over to him. Well, really, campsite and the, he were in a lorry till sheep were de de declining so many that people were in trailers. So we got rid of the cattle float and put on a fish carrier. So James was 12, 10 years carrying fish oh. all over Scotland. Wow. Keep that up this year because it was far too much for Fiona and Kerry to look after everything. Yeah. And he's 50, born in 67, so he's 56. So he's got to start thinking about himself as well. Mm, definitely. Yeah. With the history behind him. Because <laughs> my, my brother died, my father died, my two uncles died. Fat problems. So it's in the family. Yeah. But don't think about it. No, those are the genes. That's what you get. That's what you get. Yeah. After that, well, all I've got written now down is uh, my grandfather's well, I was history. Gonna, I was going to ask before we get there, um, you have a partner now yes, as well. Yes, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met and who is she? <laughs> she met, I met her... But I met her way back in 1972. 73. Her 
ex-husband and herself ran a Highland Fold in Lomond side, mm -hmm. and her father and my father knew each other, but not greatly. And when she divorced in 68, 68 98, 97, 98, she came, she was living in Alexandria because the farm thing had broken up. Ian, McFadden turned out, was in Ullabod, helping his uncle at uh, Adelanish. Mm. And a bit of land down there. And he said, why? She said, he said, Mother, why don't you come to Mull? It's a great place to be. She came to Mull, and she, by that time Ian and Helen were together, and uh, they lived at Greben. She lived with them for six months. She got a house at Grulin. And uh, on the boat coming back from a Highlands cattle sale, actually it was my, my sister, my youngest sister, that met Carol first. And I had a tip scaly in the Columba Tale in Oban, because Carol and her husband at that time came in, and he said, oh, there's two gentlemen there that you'll maybe know. You sit beside them and I'll go and get a dram for them and your whatever you want. Turned out that this was Angus MacPhail, Alva, and Angus McGillivray, Clint <laughs> my father. Yeah. That's and my sister came in to collect them, to take them home, started chatting, and herself and Carol have been friendly since. So when she came to Gruelin, oh, my next bit's history, she <laughs> was on the ferry with us coming home from a tups, uh, bull sale in Oban, or a heifer sale it was in October, and one of the crew said, one of the boys in the company said, are you getting potatoes this year, Donald? Because I dabbled in potatoes, you see, buying them and selling them. And yes, would you be getting golden wonders, Donald? Yes, no problem, Carol, I'll get you a bag of golden wonders. So <laughs> I got the bag of golden wonders, I phoned her and I said, the golden wonders, I've got them, I'll drop them at the door someday and if you're working, I'll leave them there, because she's working in Danaris. She phoned over, when I phoned her, she said, oh, that'd be great, Donald, thank you very much, I'll see you sometime. Two minutes later, the phone rang again, it was her father. Did you not ask the man to come for his dinner? He knew he's on his own. Never thought. I was feeding with, I was getting my dinner with the James and Fiona right now. Anyway, come for your dinner tomorrow night. So I went out for dinner the next night. The rest is history. A bag of golden wonders. <laughs> and, we've, and we're 16 years together. Oh, for goodness sake, that's amazing. We've now retired. She retired. She's younger than me a wee bit. And uh, we go about quite a bit. Mm. We travel the world. <laughs> Not the world. We travel the country. Yeah. Yeah. But I have travelled the world through the Highland Cattle Society. I was president for two years, vice president for two years, president of the, of the Highland Cattle Society, which took me to America twice. Oh, lovely. So the Royal Day. The Where did you go? Wyoming and things like that? Wyoming, the second time that was with the Society. Mm -hmm. The first time I was out there, I was in Denver at the oh. National Western Stock Show. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Went up to Vancouver, and that was since Cathy oh, was right. alive. That was in 1996. And uh, Carol and I went to uh, New Zealand. 
2006. That was a escapade of its own. Fantastic. Yeah. We vowed that we weren't going to call on any herd cattle breeders. <laughs> Our son was shearing in the south of England for experience. And we stayed with him and his mate, right down almost at the south end. And anyway, he, he said, he told his boss, there were six gangs of them, that we were over. And he came from Hoyk. Oh, I'd love to meet them and take them to a tour. So we went away with him one day. Amazing. Five o'clock in the morning. Mileage is nothing. It's hours. <laughs> and uh, went around shearing stations. Fantastic. We met one place and this man kept looking at me. And looking at me. Hi, you're a West Coaster? I says, yes. You're an East Coaster? Hi, Huntley, I came from. But I was working in Loch Elphid at Edelin. Hi, knew I saw you somewhere. And he says, uh, I'll tell you, I didn't go to Oban's market very often, but when they opened the new market and Princess Anne came to open it, he says, I rubbed shoulders with her. Uh-huh. Did you watch, or did you know who was escorting her? No. Aye, he says, it was you, you bugger. <laughs> Small um, world. Fantastic. And that was fine, we did that, then went away to the North Island and uh, over, went to the National Sheep Shearing in, in, in uh, Wellington, outside Wellington, and uh, met up with various people there. Then we travelled on up because we'd cousins well, second or third or fourth cousins, up in, Canter in Canterbury. Not Canterbury, the North Island anyway, whatever it was. And he was, his, he was a deep sea captain. The story about him too, he was sailing the South Pacific and they were passing another ship. And of course, he was on the radio, radio officer as well as a skipper. And this voice came in, and he knew it was a West Coast boys. <laughs> it was Stephen McCallum from Pinafort, who he was in school with, because he was in Tororan at that time. <laughs> so the, right. Imagine all that distance away. Anyway, we carried on up to see them, to have lunch with them, and we were early for lunch, and we saw this farm. Scottish Highlanders, Chetan, Netta Clark. <laughs> Carol was driving, and she says, uh-huh, you have a spook on now. Do you want to go in? I says, that name rings a bell. Turned round, went back in, went in. Walking up to the house, the door opened. Donald McGilvery. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> she'd been on the national tour in 84 in Scotland. Yeah. And she remembered me. But of course she remembered me because I was all through the press at that time with the Highland yeah. Carroll. And uh, with a great crack. That's brilliant. But she didn't leave the phone alone. Mm -hmm. She phoned about half a dozen others. So <laughs> that was a time. Oh, I enjoyed every That's minute lovely. of it. Every minute. We went to one person who he was in a wheelchair, but her husband had built a house for them. And they had their Highlanders. And were driving up the drive. And I looked. I says, there's Penny Gown blood in that beast. Oh, nonsense. Tell you. Round the corner, there's another one. We went in, 
great cup of tea and her housekeeper was with her and her, her companion and she says, you're from Scotland, yes. I've got a cattle here that their father, their sire, was Scottish bred. Uh-huh. Gillicoyer? Gillicoyer of Perigown. Yes. Well, this is I bred him. That's insane. Insane. But they're just for penny gown cattle. I knew them right away, off that pool. That's amazing. Amazing. Carol Carol was nonsense. (laughs) And it was. And we had a great time. We had a great time. I'd go back tomorrow if it wasn't for the flight. Yeah. But I wouldn't wouldn't fly in anymore. Yeah. But, um, no, no, I've been... There's someone I dream of going, I must admit. Yeah. When when we, I think we'd met before, but one of the first times we kind of properly talked was when Georgia and I were over at the graveyard. That's right. Um, beside the campsite, the Pentagon Chapel and the clerk right. there. Um, and what what is the story of that space? Because it's extraordinary. It's The, the stories cha- there are amazing. The chapel, apparently by legend, has it that three successive landlords tried to roof it. Yeah. And they were unable to either blow it off or take it off for whatever. But there's some of the stones in there that go back right into the very early 1800s. More than that, I don't. There are some that are carved. Uh, some of them beautifully carved. The Iona style, and I think, there, right. I think some That's of them right. are much. Yeah. There's one outside the, the, the chapel, mm-hmm. and it's Macquarie's. That's right, yeah. Now, that's Duncan Macquarie, that was the schoolmaster in Silence, father. Grandfather, because he was a stonemason, and he carved that stone, and he would be the last person buried in that plot. Something else mm. is absolutely amazing. Amazing. He also mentioned earlier on a name I've not heard on not mentioned on the island before. McComsky. McComsky. McComsky was the the general merchant in what's now Sarah Fraser's restaurant. That was McComsky's, and when Ian and and his family were excavating it, they came on the, the remains of the cooker where they made all the bread. The bread was all made there. It's in the, in the lower part of it. And uh, that's... Where, where were they from, the Malkominskis? Is it an Irish name? It's an Irish name. I know little about them, mm. other than the fact that they were there for some time and they were the sort of general merchants before D.P. Ferguson. Came there. So D.P. Ferguson uh, he was in Corpach and old Alec White came to Mull. He came to Iona first and then he came to Mull and he married Donnie Mackay, the Belchroy's sister. Okay. They were in he was old Mackay was the manager of Glenforsha for a long number of years and stayed in Pinnegown. Cameron's White, the late Cameron White's mother and her sister and her two brothers were walking home from a dance in Salon and they saw a light go through the field from Carlochley to Kilbeg. They thought it was a light, thought nothing about it, but told their father the next day and he says, fancy. So he didn't say nothing, but he watched himself and he saw the light again one night. It was the old lady in Kilbeg She'd run out of hay for her cow and she'd gone through the bog and she'd get some hay out of the barn at Callaghley. Nothing was said. Mm. <laughs> Nothing was said. 
These are the things that happened. There was one more thing you wanted to say about your grandfather as well, because that's, see what I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you've given me an hour and 10, hour and 20 minutes of amazing stuff already, but oh, there's something else you were going to say about your grandfather though as well, is that right, the last note? He left Karzig in 1902 and uh, went to Glencairn to the Bullochs, who were textile textile factory from the Midlands, and they owned rum as well, and they built Kinloch Castle on yeah. rum. And he went there as stockman and uh, he was selected to draw up cattle to take to rum in the early 1900s. And they're still there. He only went out with them and went, never went back. But it's, it's very strange he'd gone by the time this happened, but he showed a bull in Oban in the early 1907-1908 and it was reserve champion. And in 1992, in 1992, I saw, showed the reserve champion and I got 20,000 guineas for him. My goodness. I think he got maybe 60. Goodness me. But unfortunately, father was gone. All the family were gone by that time, but I relished that moment. My late brother, who's a better stockman than me, I feel... I'll never forget him coming up the passageway to the ring in the old market and the buzz was just electric. They knew this was coming because the champion was 18,000 that day and it was Pete Waterman that bought him. Well, bought on behalf of Peter, Pete Waterman. The, the music producer? Aye, yes. What? I went down to Rushmore Estates in, in the middle of England. Right, okay. And... Uh, the, the, the ring was just absolutely packed. And he was down on his knees, my late brother, polishing the hoofs of the bull and making sure there was no straw in him or anything else. And when he came into the ring, James was only a boy. Well, he wasn't really a boy, 92. And Angus came in as well. And Duncan, Cameron from Laganova, was parading the bull for me, but I wasn't parading it. And it started at 1800. 2000. You couldn't hear a sound in the ring. And it started, it went up slowly, slowly, and when it hit 10, 11, 12, 14, 16, and I was lost for words. 17, 18, that was the record. 1850. 1900, and the auctioneer was Tom Wallace. He was going to chop it down. Take your time, Tom. The boat's not till four o'clock. Well, the place just erupted. Calm down. 1950, 20,000. And it went to Walker, Lee's Castle, Inverness. The man only lived a year after that. But it was resold, and he made 12,500 when it was resold. The second 20,000 people, two years after that, I sold them and he went to Germany. And they were on the, I loaded them on the plane in Prestwick, 90, 84 cattle it was, on a plane in Prestwick. And we were Logan Air. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. For in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we had to put them in the market in the air, the new market, and they were guarded. 
because we're reckoning there'd be a lot of uh, protesters. We'd left the market with them at four o'clock in the morning before anybody knew, in through the gates, the gates were shut. We loaded the plane in the, in the Prestwick Airport. It was over Channel somewhere when BSE broke out and they wouldn't allow it into Germany. And it landed in Switzerland. Oh. And these, oh. these cattle are still, yeah. still in Switzerland. Never got to Germany. But that was just fate. Yeah, fate. Amazing that they, that they actually fell at that point, and that's extraordinary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had a lot of success in the cattle, a lot of disappointments, but we're still with them. Very much so. James was, well, he was otherwise occupied, but he's now taken over that. And Kerry, my youngest granddaughter, she's dedicated to cattle. You may be seen at the shows with her short arms and prizes all over the battle. So we're, we're delighted that things carry on. With those few words, I think uh, if you <laughs> if you want anything else, I uh, I know where to find you. You know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs>